You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Bob. What's with the mask? I thought I'd go with the cheap mask stunt. Because, yeah, it's, it's, uh, working, it's working great. The audience is loving it. <laughs> um, they, they, but every, everybody does this, so i got to take it off. Okay, but it really but worked well. I, this was it, this was dynamite TV, Mickey, and I just want to thank you on behalf of our viewers and even our listeners, who I'm sure are in their mind's eye picturing you with a mask on. We should I add that like, you have a ski hat for for I guess because you wanted to look like a a bank robber or something. No, as I have long a ski hat because my hair is completely fucked up. Well, let's see what let's see what your fucked up hair looks like, Mickey. Could you? Pretty bad. Oh boy, are you right? Get that hat back on. Now speaking <laughs> of speaking of messed up hair. Uh, mine is a little unruly. Yours I am unshaven. I am unshaven, and the reason for that is that you didn't inform me until like an hour ago that we were going to do this today. That Correct. will explain our subpar performance. We're totally unprepared. But you know the good thing about me looking unkept, Mickey? Uh, you intimidate me. No. It gives me that Steve Bannon look. And Steve Bannon is the inspiration for this podcast because... Um, as people, as regular viewers know, you and I are doing, um, one of these, uh, pandemic related podcasts once a week, at least through April, possibly longer, depending on how long the shutdown lasts or until people grow tired of us. And we're inspired by Steve Bannon, who has a lot of energy, a lot more energy than I do, certainly. More energy than you and I combined. I I actually have a piece about Steve Bannon in this week's issue, the non-zero newsletter, which people can get at nonzero.org and will have come out, I believe, right before this post. Yeah, when Bannon Saturday. took over, when Bannon took over Trump's campaign, everybody said this is a disaster. He's a wild man. He's, uh, you know, uh, and I said that may be true, but he has a lot of energy, and uh, he has a lot well, of. Well, also, he's a he's a fascinating character. You, we, you haven't seen the Errol Morris documentary, which I encourage you to. American Dharma. Right. Uh, about Bannon, um, he's a fascinating guy. I mean, he definitely gets a number of things that that uh, about American politics that helped Trump win. It, it, it wasn't just energy. Yeah. Um, um, well, um, uh, he was very nice to me. That's my test. So um, that's ever that's everybody's test. Yeah, you know, when people go around saying he's a nice guy, he's a good guy, what they mean is. He's been nice to you. Right, right. And that's all. Um, Because you've never seen him when he was around someone, when you weren't around. So you don't know. No. Um, But the attacks on him, remember there were all these attacks on him. He said something about the west side of L.A. being too Jewish, et cetera, et cetera. They were all completely flimsy as far as I could see. So, Do you live on the west side of L.A.? I do, and I I, I do. And what he said is, is nothing that every parent... Half the parents on the west side of LA say too. So um, it's uh, it was a I thought it was a bogus charge. But uh, okay, well we are you, not here to vindicate Steve Bannon. Yeah, I like your beard. Beard, you know, it's not it's, very visible now that it's gray. It's very relief pitchery. If you wore that beard on the mound, I would be scared. In the tradition of Sal the barber, right or. Any number of people. You know who Sal the Barber was? No, I know who Ryan Duran was, but he had a different trick. 
Sal, Sal the Barber was the first pitcher famous for intimidating batters by not shaving. This is like 60, 70 years ago. I think it was okay. Sal Magley, I think was the last name. He was a hell. Mickey. He, yeah. Yeah. He was ahead of his time. Go ahead. Now, I know you want to talk about ventilators as befits a man your age. However, before <laughs> you do that, before you do that, can I just do a little victory lap? Did I not a week ago, back before virtually anybody was saying this, suggest that the administration's estimates for deaths of 100,000, 240,000 had been set high so that they could easily declare victory? Did I not that, say that? And now is everyone that, not saying that? And, and, and Fauci denounced it as a – your old buddy Anthony Fauci denounced it as a conspiracy theory – uh, and, and I think he specifically meant you, Bob. At this point, I would like to distinguish between two types of COVID modeling truthers. There are the people mainly on the right who are saying the numbers were overblown and really this isn't a dangerous disease, right? And we didn't have to go through any of this. And then right. the people like me who are saying the numbers were too high because the models didn't take into account the dramatic effect that the social distancing would have, I believe that, and I believe they chose models that didn't take that into account, adequate account of that, but but I do believe if they hadn't done the social distancing, we'd be in a very bad place. So I think it's a very think, serious disease. So you think they they purposely chose models that downplayed the social distancing, knowing that it would come up with a high casualty number, or do you think they they chose the model that came up with a number of 120 and they said, hey, let's bump it up to 140, then we'll look good uh, when it comes in under 140. Well, I will say this, two things. The model they have put the most emphasis on, the University of Washington IHME model, even as they said, we're talking 100 to 240,000 deaths, even when they said that, it was it was giving a lower projection. And that has gotten lower and lower. It's got when we When we talked last week, they were projecting 90,000, and that's the average, not the lower end of their range. They were projecting 90,000. Now they're projecting 60. One other thing, that model assumed that no one would do what Trump said. I mean, literally, they said, we are only assuming the social distancing dictated by individual states because Trump's guidelines are not orders. They're not laws. So it didn't, it it was deficient. First, do we really think they relied on that study? Because I thought they had their own models, and then they said, oh, and this other one came in from left field. So I'm not yeah. sure that everybody's beating up on this uh, Washington model, uh, and it, it, it has suspiciously been wrong. But it, uh, I think there are other models. This It's a weird model. It, it relies on the shape of the curve that they've derived from China, right, or something. It's It's not done the same way other models, and maybe it's an experimental way to do a model. That doesn't work very well. I, I'm sure that uh, that Fauci has other models he's drawing on. It's not just that one. Um, I don't know. And, and I mean, in their defense, the yeah, they say that they say they've looked at a number of models. They mentioned the Washington one. They've been very vague about their methodology. One thing Steve Bannon demands on the War Room Pandemic podcast. <laughs> over and over again is that they tell us what the methodology behind the model is and i agree let's have some transparency well, um, i think i i think if you dug down on the web you would find attacks on the 
Washington methodology. But the question is, is, is one of how, how, what was their motive? If their motive was, hey, we picked the worst case model because it better, it's better to err on the side of caution. That seems totally defensible to me. If you're, if, if you're, you want to motivate people and it's a reasonable model and you're erring on the side of caution. If they said, uh, we want to hype, we want to double the number just so Trump looks good politically. That's sort of bad too. That's worse, but, it's even that's defensible if it's in the if it's in pursuit of a policy that's going to save lives. Well, I don't uh, think the modelers were trying to help Trump. And then, it, but again, I mean, it's the administration's estimates that were designed to help Trump. I think if 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 they were, which is my working hypothesis, but and naturally so, it's not shocking. I mean, let me read you a tweet from Chris Hayes, who I think is great. By the way, he's like the best on cable news, and he's a genius, and he has amazing energy. But he tweeted a couple of days ago the most cynical interpretation of all this. One I can't quite bring myself to accept is they rolled out the model showing 100K deaths after they knew it would be less than that so they could anchor everyone to that number and take a victory lap when only tens of thousands died, which is what I had said. I don't understand why he can't bring himself to accept it. I would think we would just assume as much of any politician, right? You set the bar high. It's 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 standard procedure, and also it's not helping Trump. He's getting he's getting completely shellacked for coming in, for, for highballing it, and everybody's saying, oh, now it's, you know, there's this crazy... Uh, theory that now, because it's only coming in 60,000, if it comes in that, that the whole policy was unjustified when it's the policy that's making it come in that low. Exactly. It's like saying, it's like, it's like saying, see, polio wasn't the problem because we cured polio. There's no polio now. So why do we have to go through this whole thing with the vaccine? What anticipated technological apocalypse does this remind us of in that regard? Uh, Y2K? Exactly. Comet Kahootek? No, Y2K. I mean, they said okay. when 2000 arrives, all the computers going to fall apart because the dates are wrong. And then people says, say, wait, that wasn't so bad. Well, yeah, but they spent billions of dollars fixing the computer so it wouldn't happen. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh. I, I drove to, I drove to Santa Barbara just in case the Russian ICBMs targeted on Los Angeles were accidentally triggered. So that's the kind of guy I am. Yes, which, which will bring us shortly to your, discussion of ventilators but i want to i want to just say quickly it's good news that uh you know not so many people are going to die obviously we uh, the feeling now is okay you know the worst of it depending on where you are in in new york the worst of it may have passed it may be only barely ahead of us that's all good and it and if fewer people die because they highballed the number and scared people into complying yeah uh that's Sort of justifiable. It's something FDR would do, certainly. No, we agree. Uh, we agree. It's a vindication of the policy. Uh, there's still the difficult part, which is that the policy can't last forever, presumably, without truly grave economic damage being done. And there, there's the whole phase two question. But it's weird that Chris Hayes is out of step with the left, which is tends to be, uh, oh, those evil Republicans want to relax and kill people, and. Uh, Yet he is saying, well, maybe the maybe Trump, uh, the, the you know, the crack, the lockdown people uh, overdid it and see it's only 60,000. So he's he's sort of out of step with his base, isn't he? Mm, I don't I don't know of any cable TV ho- news hosts who are saying what you're saying. Right. I mean, you can't say that. 
uh, say what? What you that that the administration is trying to kill us, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, a person a person in his position shouldn't say that. Even uh, I mean, what, what's the scenario? But he's not how, who is I know because he can't, but mm-hmm. but I doubt he even believes it. I mean, who is? Wait, what is the scenario? Um. I have, the the scenario in general, my maybe I, I get these confused in my head. So maybe I'm in general. The left is pro lockdown. The right is anti lockdown. The true. Trump was imposed the lockdown, but now he's switched in line with uh, most of the right and wants to open up the economy. And he's opposed by Fauci. Mm-hmm. So the left is saying Trump is being irresponsible, wants oh. to open up the economy too much, and he's putting our lives at risk. And oh. the right is saying. Open up the economy already. The cure is worse than the disease. Oh, so well, it seems to yeah, me okay. what 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 uh, Hayes is saying gives uh, aid and succor to the people who saying uh, who say, "See, the the cure is exaggerated. The disease isn't that bad. They exaggerated the 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 deaths from the COVID. So so we should open up." I think that's crazy, but I think he's well. He's not saying uh, that though. He's not saying it's time to open up. I know, but is but the implication of the fact that's if, the, if that's the di- other kind of truther. That's my point. There's truthers like me and maybe Chris Hayes who are saying they inflated the the numbers, the the estimated death numbers, so that they look good in the end. But we don't deny that the social distancing was key. This is a very serious disease. So we're not saying, hey, look, because of these low numbers, we can we can all uh, you know go watch a, an NFL game. Right. Plus. We were initially looking at numbers over a million. So, uh, in terms of scare value, I'm not sure that 140 had all that much scare value. But um, yeah, well, one two million were the numbers for kind of if you don't do much of anything. And, right. and um, now there's been another piece of kind of good news. Maybe it's tentative that 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 reflects on the question of how many would have died if we had done nothing. Which is this study in Germany where they in a particular town, they they approached people in a more or less random fashion and gave them antibody tests to try to figure out what percentage of the population here actually has had contact with the disease right. and is presumably immune. Well, first of all, it was many more. This is a town that had been very hard hit. So the number that they knew had tested positive was high to begin with. But this was very high. It was like 12%. Anyway, the upshot of this was that if these numbers are a guide, then the death rate is 0.37%, less than one half of 1%, okay? Now, if that turns out to be the case in the U.S., which it well could because we just haven't uh, done the antibodies test, we we don't know how, you know, how many people had this and don't know it. Um, that's, uh, in principle, good news because if we, if we wind up having to kind of stumble our way toward herd immunity you know when so many people are immune that it's not a threat right. um the lower the death rate from the disease the fewer deaths you have to pay right. so to speak for herd immunity right even uh a f- couple things e- herd immunity is even 15 percent isn't isn't anywhere near herd immunity so no for this disease uh, i've heard that herd immunity may be like 90 percent. i mean i think okay. the more transmissible the disease the higher the percentage of the population you have to reach to I get herd immunity. The second thing is uh, Scott Gottlieb, who knows more about this than I do, 
had a very recent post like yesterday saying he surveyed all the experts in the field and they all said they expect the the infection rate to be about 5% of the population, not 15%. It was it was 5% on down. 5% was the upper bound of what these and, and there's all sorts of other studies not just Germany Wait, he uh, expected that seemed what, to show he, a lower infection rate. I missed that. He expected what number to be 5%? The number that's 15% in Germany, the percent of the general population well, well, that has had the disease. This was just one town. Right. But, but listen, right. if, if right now it's 5% in America, that's revolutionary too. That would imply a very low death rate. I mean, that, that would mean, I mean, look, the number of, I happen to have some numbers here, Mickey, I think. Um, the, uh, or do I? Yeah, the, the number of, positive cases in the u.s is half a million right that's that's what we know about well if he's saying uh and, and that implies a death rate of you know what whatever i mean we could do the math eight eighteen thousand deaths uh we can do the math but the point is if the real number who have had it is five percent that's like 15 million people the death rate would be incredibly low even given uh, that death is a lagging indicator, so you'd have to actually – the number of deaths you'd, you'd use in the math would be higher than the number as of today. But that, that would be incredibly low if 5% of Americans have – Well, that may happen. That would be a great thing. Yeah. But uh, the uh, – it, it does seem – doesn't it seem clear to you that the future of this is we sort of, as you say, stumble our way uh, toward normalcy with – periods of relaxation and then we you know with enough testing this is all possible then we then maybe maybe we discover we've gone too far and we pull back and you know eventually fitfully the you know in, over the course of probably a long time like a year the economy stumbles back towards something close to normal well one question is can the economy do that i mean even if you stopped the economic damage now, magically, like if suddenly the disease just went away, we open up, nobody's, everybody flocks to restaurants, the the amount of government stimulus we've already seen, the amount of deficit spending is, so far as I know, completely unprecedented in history. I guess I'd have to look at what we did during the new, during the depression, but, you know, as a percentage of, of uh, GDP, but... This is we're in terra incognita already. But your theory, your, so your theory is the economy couldn't climb back because the debt burden is so high. Um, no, no, I, it's not that. I mean, short term deficit spending works, but right. supposedly, I mean, look, when Bernie Sanders says I want to give health care to everybody, and this will cost whatever two hundred billion or something, you know, people, people, you know grab their hair and say, tell us where you're going to get that money. You have to tell us where you're going to get that money. Right. Well, now we're spending, what? what is it, two point something trillion in a couple of months, and we're going to do it again yeah. and again? That, I mean, uh, nobody- my impression is deficit spending never had a political downside, much of a political downside. Not in the and short now run. It has, now it has even less of a political downside because we went through the stimulus under Obama. We spent at a trillion dollar stimulus. Didn't seem to hurt things. We have Lawrence Summers with secular stagnation where, you know, we have to maybe we have to keep goosing the economy to keep it from stagnating. So there's that. My impression is that even among professional economists, 
worry about the deficit is a lot less than it used to be. Oh, oh, it is, but that that was at a much lower level of deficit spending. Again, this is just totally. We are on a new planet, and 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 the downside tends to come longer term. I'm not saying this couldn't right. get Trump through the election, but yeah. in this, theory, you wind up with like hyperinflation or something if you go too far, and um, so there's that, and and then there's the fact that you can't magically stop it at the level of spending we've already seen because even if Trump opened up the economy. There are a lot of people who are going to be afraid to go to restaurants. It's not like spending is going to return. Well, that's part of the lurching that I talked about. That, yeah. That, that is, is that people, so, the braver people will go out, and then if all sorts of people get sick and die, then that'll stop. And if people don't get sick and die, then more people will go out. That's sort of a natural process. Yeah, but it's a uh, low l- lurch is what I'm saying. It, it, it's a, you know, it's like, if people aren't convinced that the threat is for practical purposes gone, you're you're not going to immediately return to the level of actual of organic economic activity we have. Well, that's why it's so that's why it's so bogus for for people to say, oh, well, we should loosen up because then the economy will come roaring back because it won't come roaring back in any case. Yeah, we're in a recession. Well, we're digging I don't our way know. out of a recession. So, well, so this uh, leads to. I mean, what is your latest reading on what phase two will be? This leads to the question of, I mean, Trump is pushing for, you know, early opening, I mean, within the administration, uh, or at least he wants that to be known so that he can blame somebody else if we can't do that and everybody's going stir crazy. Um, but he, that is the line and, and, and others are counseling. And in fact, these models that, that, that hold the number to 60 million currently assume social distancing at least through May. I I don't um I'm not up on phase two. Uh, all I know is that everything depends on testing, and we don't have enough tests. Well, so. antibody testing. Uh, the the probably, longer, yeah, as the well longer as, we put things off, the better. Yeah, you need tests with instant results. You need a jillion of them, and to get real economic activity, you know, full economic activity to return, you need people convinced that uh, there's not much risk out there, and brush fires will be stomped out yeah. quickly. I mean if you if if you sharply restricted travel between states, you could use states as laboratories. Be the first time they were ever successfully used as laboratories. Remember that remember that book, Laboratories for Democracy? It, 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 we tried that in welfare reform and the result was that the, the laboratories idea was a crock. I mean, very few states tried anything interesting. They all did the same thing. Even though there are fifty of them, the governors did not step forward. Nobody was bold. Uh, uh, you know, the, basically a one size fits all solution was uh, far preferable to, to letting uh, to 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 uh, you just didn't get anything very ingenious out of the states. But here, you, you know, if if uh, Montana wants to go it alone and have have you know parties in bars. Uh, let's see what happens to Montana. I mean, we, we, it's not convincing that th- this is anything other than a, you know, an infection in a couple of cities yet, right? When well, I, the infections are the infections are all over. I mean, one kind of weird uh, ritual of mine has been 
looking at the map for West Virginia every day just because it was the very last map to turn to, to get in it. It was the very last state to get any infection at all on the New York Times map. So I started wondering because have you have you been to West Virginia? I mean, it's not like it's not like they have bullet trains between city towns, right? I've only I mean, done it. I've only been there at night. You know, the towns you wouldn't think it's a natural conduit for disease. You know, mountainous a lot of mountainous roads and stuff, but. It's just relentless the way those red dots keep showing up. There, there. Last time I checked a couple of days ago, there's more than forty location, forty counties, forty locations in West Virginia that have some degree of infection. And it just yeah. grows every day. So yeah, I, that's, I that's one unknown. Is our hotspots going to keep springing right, up? Right. Um, I mean, here in LA, people think we've beaten it. I mean, they may be wildly optimistic. But, but, the, but they, the, the fear of that the hospitals are going to be overrun, et cetera, et cetera, even though the peak is way, you know, much later than New York, people seem to think they have it under control. Maybe they're, uh, they're whistling past the graveyard, but, um. But they realize that it's because of the social distancing, so they can't return to normal without the yes. problem returning. Yeah. Yes. We're, I'm on the west side of Italy. We're a hot, but a hotbed of social distance warriors. Yeah. So, so, um, so here's a question. Normally, presidents are blamed for the economy. If the economy becomes the big problem by November and, and, and the deaths are not the problem, at least not a huge political problem in themselves, uh, will Trump be blamed or will this be like, you know, who could see a black swan coming? You know, I think I, I'm I'm projecting, but my line is Trump gets blamed for the epidemic and not for the economy. Uh, which I mean, which is ironic. I mean, yeah, go ahead. It's it's not ironic because if he if he responded quickly to the epidemic, the economy would have still taken a huge hit. Oh, but much right. less of one. Much less of one. Less of one, but way you know, but, less. I mean, that's why I say it's ironic. Normally, presidents are blamed for the economy, but they actually don't have that much to do with the with the performance of the economy. This is a case where he could have, in principle, short-circuited the economic disaster, and, in my view. And I'm not saying I would have. I'm just saying you can see what he could have done that would have, and yet he may not be blamed for it. Um, I, I Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very bad at predictions. I mean, the... Under your scenario, the the economic numbers would be moving in the right direction, uh, you know, from a pit, but they'd be moving in the right direction, and um, the the main health crisis will be behind us. Uh, so it he has that going for him, and he, and he can pick and choose among crazy left wing positions to attack Biden on. Uh, I don't think that'd be enough. I think I think he's in trouble, but. Uh, you th- you still think he's in trouble? You still think you actually think Biden's going to win? Oh, I think Biden has a good shot of winning. But who would you bet on? Even money? Oh, I bet on Biden. Really? Yeah, but uh, I you mean, know, he's, have you listened to his podcast? He has a podcast. God, is is it? Uh, it we have to be better than his podcast, right? I haven't heard it, but I think it's called. Unless this was a joke on Twitter, I think it's called "Here's the Deal." I, I, I heard a little thing where he was talking about Fig Newtons and why he liked Fig Newtons, and I thought, we can beat oh, that. That'll work, yeah. Uh, that was not compelling. 
Uh, no, so- but as utterances from a president go, most people would rather hear it than the average Trump utterance. So I think that can win for him. I think the, the Fig Newtons platform can do you think it. Fig Newtons went, John, go back to eating Fig Newtons. Okay. Um, um I don't, I, I, I don't know. I would, uh, I think there'll be, it'll be a running issue how, how, how out of it he is and how he, low energy he is. I mean, he's not Steve Bannon energy wise, right? Oh, you don't think? Well, I, I know. I, that's a joke. I know. I know. I know. Well, no, because yes. I, at his campaign rallies, he gives a talk. It's sort of meandering, uh, and not wildly effective, but then he goes down into the audience and talks to them for an hour and a half. He's okay? good at that. So that takes some energy. It's more energy mm-hmm. than I could summon. So it's a little complicated. You can't say that the guy has no energy. If he had no energy, he would leave the room immediately, right? And he also wouldn't challenge you to a push-ups contest. Um, so, and I didn't see any hair sniffing or anything like that. It was all no. But see, know, here's completely a pro- on the up and up. Here's an actual problem I think he has is that, at least for the time being, maybe this will change, he can't be seen among a crowd. You know, right now, you know, when they show him in his little living room studio or something, I mean, you know, he looks a little like a guy in a nursing home who's hiding out from the virus. And that's not a good look for a president. Trump is actually seen with human beings. You know, it's a more sparsely populated press room than usual, I, but he's engaging with people. I, I I sort of think Biden's attempts to, to maintain a presence are futile. He should just disappear for three months and come back in three months. Uh, and, you know, what we've, we've talked about this. I mean, he has like, obviously he has a campaign staff that's all saying, trying to figure out a way to establish a presence. Uh, but that's what they're paid to do. But sometimes it's best to have your staff do nothing. Uh, you know, he, he, he came out with a reasonably good, with a interesting med- healthcare position. You know, he should do that. He should negotiate with Bernie. What's that? That's getting something real done. Now, is he now saying lower the age for Medicare? Yes, to 60. I thought it was 55, but, 60. No, Clinton had 55, Biden has 60. Hillary had 55, right? Yeah. Well, 50, she was right. Yeah. I, um, but I, I, I want to see the details. I, I, it's not clear to me that it's just a simple across the board. Okay. You're 60, you get Medicare. It may be you're 60. And if you're this, this and this, uh, then you can pay more than the, the regular Medicare people. Uh, and buy in. So mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of ways to complicate it excessively. Uh, I hope he hasn't done that. I, I would just take the current Medicare system and lower the age, you know, to five years and then a year every year after that. You know, something it's like something, that. but you still got to do something about people in the middle, uh, age wise. Oh, but there's health people in the middle because it takes the highest risk cases out of the pool. Well, if you had, so, if you had, if you had real Obamacare with a public option, very reasonably priced public option, and your point is it can get more and more reasonably priced as you take old people out of the risk. And he has a public option too, so um, wouldn't be wouldn't be it, the worst thing. You could also uh, um, maybe raise the income uh, anyway, cutoff for if, Medicaid. If he had a reasonable grounds on uh, immigration, a reasonable position on immigration, I would probably be for him. But he, I don't think he does. Uh, the, that not, brings not me to your my, lights, at least. So that brings me to my presidential sweepstakes. Oh, I thought it was going to bring you to ventilators. This is a relief that it's we'll, only we'll bringing you to ventilators. Sweepstakes. I, I was. I, I, I admired the way Tucker Carlson forced Trump to take the 
the pandemic seriously when Trump was running around saying it was yeah, like the flu. Yeah, but then Tucker reversed course, right? And then Trucker, this past week or so, has completely flipped and gone with the, and also Laura Ingram have gone with the Fox flow and into saying, well, the cure is worse than the disease. What do these experts know? We shouldn't be ruled by experts. Uh, look at these models. Ha ha ha. The models suck. Uh, and, uh, I, I, it's weird. I asked, I was wondering why, why did all of Fox all of a sudden fall into line? I mean, half of them were in line before. And why did Tucker fall into line? And the answer I got back from people who know Fox is that the audience is in charge. F- <laughs> Tucker cannot and Fox cannot, uh, uh, stand to, to get too far out front from what their audience thinks. And also, that's especially true with when you have this Murdoch who's running the place who doesn't share any of these actual beliefs and is probably, you know, not a Republican and just sees it as a cash cow. So you just got to keep pleasing the audience and pleasing the audience and raking it in. And Tucker cannot, af- Tucker cannot afford to piss off the leaders of Fox that much or his audience. Uh, if his ratings go down, he, you know, look at Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly was a big star. He left Fox. Now he's virtually, you know, now he's like one hundredth of what hey, he used is to it, be. Is it true that so, Bill O'Reilly said these people who are dying of the coronavirus were on their last legs anyway? He did, apparently. Yes. Um, I'm okay. told that people like Dennis Prager, who people who I have tremendous respect for, are saying similar things. I, I haven't seen that, but well, so this, the right is like this, in lockstep. With killing grandpa. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. This transitions naturally into the uh, utilitarian uh, discourse you and I might have wound up engaging in anyway. But first I want to say it makes sense that, you know, Fox's viewers would say enough already. Let's open up the economy because most of them live in areas where, where the disease isn't a big threat. I mean, they're in the red part of America. They're not in the big cities by and large. You know, they're they're either in red states or red parts of blue states. And so it's, well, it's and they, rational. And they, see, and they see that the left is using us to get at Trump, which they are. So that sort of sours them on the on the whole yeah. uh, project. Um, uh, so uh, anyway, my my new candidate for president is J.D. Vance, author of Hillbilly Elegy. Absolutely. Who had a, yeah. who had a thread uh, on Twitter that basically said, I've looked at all the evidence on the right. I'm sorry, I'm not convinced. So social distancing is still the best solution. Uh, I'm not convinced that the infection rate is going to be large. I'm blah blah blah. Uh, all very sensible, and, and he has this quality, which I l- admire, and which sort of Reagan had too, which is he can basically take exactly the same positions as Trump, but phrase it in such a mild and and uh, sort of honorable and sweet way that. Uh, it's very, very easy for people to swallow, rightly so. He, he's sort of the, he's with Trump on the issues. He's the exact opposite of Trump in terms of personality. He's not confrontational. Hmm. He doesn't get angry. He, he, he's reasonable. He, he's evidence-based. I mean, he's a venture capitalist. He can't afford not to be evidence-based. And so you know, people wanted him to run for Senate in, in Ohio and he, and he ducked out of it, but, uh, I'm serious about this. I think so, I think he's a potential candidate. So you and other Trumpists are grooming him to be Trump's successor. I'm not grooming anybody, but you, you got to do something with Trumpist your life. Elites. Sorry, you and other I don't Trumpist think anybody's elites. grooming. I ran into him 
at an event and he like laughed. Wait, you I know could, him? You know him? No, I, that was the only time I met him. He he sent me one email once. Uh, this but, was pre, uh, this was pre-social distancing that you're about in. another issue. Yeah. Uh, so um, no, I just ran into him as he was coming off the st- stage at a at a conference. Interesting question: Who would be the successor to Trump? I mean, it's a little, from my own ideological viewpoint, it's a little alarming that. I'm given, given, given the fact that a guy as unappealing in so many ways as Trump is, has, you know, gotten himself elected president, may get himself reelected. Imagine what, uh, somebody less abhorrent could do. Um, but, but, but anyway. I don't think, I don't think JD Vance is going to, uh, establish a, a Putin esque authoritarian state. I mean, he's, he's obviously not going to he's not going to do Trump's BS of playing favors and helping out his friends. And if you say something nasty about him, you don't get your ventilators. See, I made the transition to ventilators. We're, um, we're getting there, folks. He's, don't he's, bail out because you think we're never going to get to the ventilators. We know a crowd so, pleaser so, when we so, see one, but we also know so, you save it for the last. After all the commercial anyway, breaks, you keep saying next he's, ventilators. He's not a, he's not a Nixonian character. Um, um, okay. He is very influenced by Michael Lind, which is, in this ca- case, probably a good thing. Now, is Michael Lind a, an actual Trump supporter? He certainly has a certain amount. He's an economic nationalist. He's probably uh, an immigration restrictionist. Um, he, I, pe- people may not care. He's not super famous, but I know him. The answer is I don't know. Uh I remember I was trying to think through these problems, and then I read a Michael Lind essay that said everything that I was groping toward thinking. Uh, and so I'm. Uh, Did you know that he's sort of a- impressed by uh, by his acuity in this, on, in this issue, which I would never was before. I wasn't a huge fan before. This is L I N D. If people want to Google him, yeah. Um, do you know who his famous cousin is? No. Once you know this, you'll never be able to look at Michael Lind without seeing him because the eyes are are very much the same. Larry Hagman, the actor really? in Dallas and I Dream of Jeannie, I think. Wasn't he on and I Dream of Jeannie? Yeah. He's, I, I want to make sure this is right, but uh, I'll Google him to make sure these are the eyes of Michael Lind I see, but I'm pretty sure that's the answer. So That's, that's better than Jim Fallows and Meatloaf. Jim Fallows is related to Meatloaf? Correct. Oh yeah, totally. Look at Larry Hagman's eyes, man. I'm telling you, that is Michael Lind. <laughs> okay. I don't know what Michael Lind's eyes look like. Larry Hagman. Anyway, I I'm in a good mood because I was worried that I would get this disease, need a ventilator, and they would say, "Sorry, Mickey, you're too old." Uh, and uh, what was it? What was it that the uh, the, the guy at the uh, that America Foundation, what is it? The, the one that Michael Lynn said. What's New America. The, I used to be a fellow there. That's where I hung right. out with Michael. Right. They didn't want to. They didn't. They didn't want to throw me any any work because I was too old and insufficiently solution oriented. So was that what you actually uh, kind of begged them for a, for a position? And they I said I didn't beg them. No, you tried to. You tried to. Uh, to did get I try me to help Bob. you out? You tried to help me out, and I was rejected because I was too old and insufficiently solution-oriented. And this was 15 years ago I was too old, so... Well, I'm sure imagine. I did my damnedest. Although I, sure did, you... I probably did mention when I mentioned you to them, you looked about ready for a ventilator to me. Yeah, okay. Thank you. 
That's what friends are for. But uh, anyway, um, they're gonna t- they're gonna not deny me the ventilator, and the, and I was terrified of this. And now it turns out ventilators aren't all that effective anyway. The 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 the, the survival rate is, is like fifteen percent. Uh, and I've heard different numbers, but nobody is saying that most people who go on them for this disease right. survive. Well, well, Deborah Burke said there was a there, they'd achieved a forty percent rate in Louisiana. I don't know what that means, but there's an interesting ventilator. There's an interesting theory that's related to the ventilators, which is technicians say they're using them wrong, or, le- or at least they're doing damage. They're blo- they're having them on too high a setting, and they're actually damaging the lungs of COVID victims. Because unlike the lungs of ordinary people who need ventilators, the COVID lungs are very flexible. They're not stiff, uh, which and, and they, they're thinking that maybe uh, this is what what this one technician said. Maybe it's not a lung disease at all. It's a blood disease. And which that we- dovetails with this with this really wacky theory that uh, Megan McArdle linked to where they modeled the virus and its proteins were were designed so to screw up the ability of hemoglobin to carry oxygen. Uh, so maybe the problem isn't that the lungs aren't giving the oxygen to the blood, but the blood isn't transporting the oxygen to the lungs. Mm. Uh, and it just seems to me that those two pieces well, of evidence blood, fit together. But wait, we, let's we be just clear. We don't know what this disease is yet. Let's be clear. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but it, it wouldn't be the blood transporting the oxygen to the lungs, right? I mean, blood transports oxygen from the lung from the lungs to the heart, right? That's the key oxygen transport in blood. You would think. I don't so know. Maybe that's the but, problem: is that no matter how good a job the lungs do, the blood just isn't going to accept the oxygen and take it to the so, heart. Is that the theory? That's a new theory. The theory, the theory in this paper is somehow that the lungs are starved for oxygen. I don't know why. The lungs are starved for oxygen. Well, I could be wrong. It could be. I mean, they, presumably, could, they are cells and they need oxygen yeah, to I'm survive. Sure they need, even yeah, if they, their they, job they need is, oxygen yeah. the way other parts of the body need oxygen. True. So yeah. that could be it. You're right. Never mind. And this would dovetail with with the, the theory, which some doctors dispute, that this is. A one organ disease. In other words, it, it affects a bunch of organs. It affects the brain. It affects the gut. Uh, and if, if it's a blood disease, that that sort of follows. This we've now reached the limits of my medical knowledge. But okay. Well, I'm it's, sorry. It, to... it, it, it's interesting to follow this link in this uh, Megan McArdle link to and and just to familiarize yourself with this theory, which I'm told hematologists have, have ripped apart. Uh, large parts of it, so it it may be completely you know fakakta. Well, if you send that link to us, we will put it in the links mentioned tab we'll on, on the bloggingheads.tv site. One of two places where the videos for this show up; the other being YouTube. Uh, and by the way, the podcast feed, both Blogging Heads TV and the Right Show podcast feed, will work. You know, one of our Mickey on Twitter. Uh, one of our viewers or listeners suggested a name, suggested, you know, that we name this, give this some distinctive pandemic-related name, this series of podcasts you are doing. This person suggested that we call it Battle Stations. I've got a feeling that's inspired by Steve Bannon's War Room pandemic. <laughs> um, battle Stations, colon, outbreak. <clears throat> 
is this is this guy's uh, is this guy's suggestion? It was it was good to get. I think we can get more over dramatic than that if we. Let's see. Bob, Bob, and Mickey go to hell. Mm. How about that one? But uh, eh, well, let's let's uh, we'll talk afterwards. Okay. Um, um, the just quickly on the here's a here's a, a segue from ventilators to a related issue. Like you are against. I mean, if you imagine. That you're in a situation where you did have too few ventilators, which blessedly seems like it's not going to be a problem. And I mean, one good thing about this whole kind of uh, scare about how high the number of deaths could get in this cycle is that, you know, we are, we will be much better prepared if there is another wave, right? We'll be better prepared for it. But if you were in a position where you had to triage, you are against age being a factor. Is that right? So, like, you got this 20-year-old, you got this 80-year-old, you'd say flip a coin or something? No, I, I'm, ag- I'm, ag- I'm, I'm for pulling out all stops to avoid a situation where triage is necessary. And so that's a, a factor, okay. you know, I- I- in terms of uh, how much of a hit to the GDP are you willing to take. Uh, I'm willing to take more of a hit than the next guy. So you would, uh, you would triage gladly... happens triage happens all the time. I understand it. It happens on the battlefield. It happens toward the end of life. Uh, but uh, it you know you as a society you want to be a pro life society that avoids this. Okay, but you would uh, accept your fate gracefully if we said, Mickey, I'm sorry. It's either you or someone young and promising. You would no. I'd probably try to pull every string I could to get out of it. But um, okay. Just, uh, just wanted to be clear. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you know, anyway, people slide to it easily and triage becomes a very easy solution. Oh, well, we don't have enough health care. Well, we'll just triage people. That's sort of what the way the NHS tends in Britain. And uh, uh, that's one of the reasons I'm for a robust public health system is because I want to avoid that. Well, your great fear of single payer is that it will sooner or later bring health care rationing, right? Right, to cut costs. If 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 you're so terrified of the the deficit and we want Mm. to bend the cost curve, well, an easy way to bend the cost curve is to to let all people over 80 pass away. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tom Lair is 92. Seems to me Tom Lair... We should celebrate the fact that he's at ninety-two and not say, "Oh, well, you're we sh- over." We shouldn't kill him. Arbitrary. We should being- not kill him. Okay, uh, you and I are once again. <laughs> we have a meeting of the minds. Um. Although, what, what? Anyway. So. No need for you to miss a minute of the agonizing Holocaust. Is, is that a is that a Tom Lehrer Tom lyric? Le- that's a Tom Lehrer lyric, and it's coming true right before mm. our eyes. Maybe he should. Well, no, never mind. He should live. He should live. I'm sure the. Whole, I'm sure if you listen to that in context, it's a great song. It's a fantastic song. Okay. It's. Does it seem like a disproportionate number of musicians have died because of this compared to other kinds of famous people? Yes. I mean, compared to say actors, how many actors? Not many, right? I assume it's because musicians have a lot of drug use and they tend to have damaged organs. Mm. But uh, I don't think, I don't know, John Prine does not seem like a guy who used drugs. So No, but he was pretty old, right? Well, he had, he had a, he had had 
a lot of problems, but I don't mm-hmm. know that they were drug problems. He, he he was on the radio. There was an interview describing his hmm. his idea of going wild was cooking until three in the morning. So, and he was cooking food. <laughs> so uh, he didn't seem like a wild guy, but maybe he was. Uh, yes, it does seem that way. I yeah. So the only other thing I have to talk about is uh, vote by mail. Vote by mail. I have something else we could talk about, but first let's talk about vote by mail. So there was this whole. How did this thing work out in Wisconsin? Was there? Um, well, I, we I don't know. It was, it was a total disaster. I mean, the the governor waited too long to negotiate with the Republican assembly. The governor originally held out for having the election. He's a Democratic governor. He held out for having the election. Then at the last minute, the, his party convinced him to 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 not want to have the election, but it was too late to cut a deal with the Republicans who were somewhat obstinate. Well, why was it too... I, it so, seems like it, his ask was pretty simple, right? Didn't he just want to extend the deadline for absentee voting so people could more people could vote absentee and not have to wait in line and get sick and die? Was that it? I don't... I don't I'm not sure that that was his ask. I thought he wanted to postpone the election. But... Uh, no, 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 no. I think, I think it was just... Uh, Expanded absentee valid mm. uh, mm. voting, and I think extended. That that's yeah. my understanding. But well, because it may it made the Republicans seem pretty unreasonable, and as if they, it does. perhaps their motivation was to win the election. It does, but uh, it it doesn't make the Supreme Court seem unreasonable. I, I I'm with you on the Republican legislature, but the Supreme you know the governor just asserted this power. I have this power to change uh, change the election unilaterally, and apparently he didn't have it. So is the Supreme Court supposed to say, oh, the governor has an inherent power, even though it's not there under the Wisconsin Constitution? You know, sometimes the right legal results produces a horrible actual result. And that seems to have been the case here. You're not going to bring up Roe versus Wade, are you? No, why? Because your view is that Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided. Which is a not not all that uncommon of you. Yeah, I back, think back I, when back when people considered you a liberal, it seemed more surprising. I still think it was wrongly decided, but yeah. uh, but uh, that doesn't mean I'm that doesn't mean I'm yeah. not no, for it, choice. It's not a crazy view. I mean, they they created a whole yeah, new they constructed but, a whole new constitutional yeah, right that's yeah. not explicit in the constitution. The, the the complicating factor is that Larry Tribe's justifications for it. The, the the opinion itself is completely unconvincing. It's like the worst opinion you've ever read. But Larry Tribe has come up with subsequent justifications for it that are did he more, argue it? Did he argue convincing. it? I don't know. I don't think so. But Larry uh, Tribe, man, what is it about that? Now he was once talked about as a Supreme Court, a Democratic Supreme Court appointee. Yeah. I I don't want to. I, I I try to speak ill of no man, Mickey, but on Twitter. He seems He's so, a little bit of a wild man. On the other yeah. hand, he, he, caught, he caught me making an incredibly elementary constitutional error and was very gracious about it. Okay, I take and it back. I, I, you know, I, I didn't take a class for him, but I, I audited some of his classes, and he's a – I don't think he's a bad – He just seems he's a not little – a force for evil. He's a nice man. He just man. seems a little hysterical. He's become a little hysterical. He was always terrible at politics. I saw him – give an introduction to Sergeant Shriver and he was completely tone deaf and didn't know what he was doing. He's not just not at ease in the political world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in the, in the political world of Twitter where they're each one upping each other to how, how nasty they can be about Trump. It's a bad environment. 
But I would pay I, I would definitely pay attention to anything he said. So do you think this election issue will still be an issue by the time November rolls around? Like there will be a big but, fight between Democrats and Republicans about how to handle the election? I mean, it's, it's not that easy to imagine well, not being an issue. Yeah, it's not that well, easy to imagine the disease being stomped out. We're having the huge fight now because the Democrats are trying to have a nationwide mail-in ballot. And my point is, my mother who used to work the polls, her sort of folk wisdom was, if you have mail-in ballots, all hell's going to break loose. It's going to be a disaster. Uh, and I tend to think my mother was right. It may be true that in Oregon they've managed to pull it off, but think about it. Even... First, there's the issue of ballot harvesting, which is what Democrats would love, which is you vote by mail and you can give it to a third party to turn in. Okay, so that means you have Democratic activists roaming the countryside, uh, collecting ballots from nursing homes. uh, And if they think, you know, and then turning them in and are the if the if the Democratic activists who are harvesting the ballot happen to drop the ballots that. Uh, that they think are Republican in the trash, is anybody going to be the wiser? No. Well, why so don't you we just ha- outlaw third party? When they know. do in North Carolina, and when somebody did that, if you remember, there was such a scandal, they had to redo the election. A Republican guy did harvest ballots. It's illegal in North Carolina. He was busted for it. It was a close election. Mm-hmm. And so they had to redo the whole election. In California, it's legal. And th- the Republican horror story is, if you remember, there were four Democratic congressmen, people in Orange County, and they won on Election Day. And then as the harvested ballots came in, they gradually all lost. So the Democratic harvesting machine is was very much firing on all cylinders. And it was probably honest this time. But as we go down the road, are they going to stay honest if we allow ballot harvesting? So we shouldn't allow ballot harvesting. Even without ballot harvesting, you know, with with if you go to the polling place, we know that you're there. We know that you voluntarily signed the ballot. We know that you were had were assured that the ballot was going to be secret. If if you vote by mail, we don't know who sent it in. We the person who sent it in can't be completely sure that their ballot is going to be as as sure that their ballot is not going to be tampered with. Uh so it sort of erodes the secret ballot, but mainly we don't know if the person actually voted or somebody somebody moved okay. the pe- held their hand and moved the pen. So suppose and eventually we- that more and more of those scandals are going to co- come up, and so I I'm not don't think this is a road we should go down. So suppose we can find ourselves to in person voting. Should we make adjustments like open it up for like ten days? Of voting so that you don't, there's never that many people there and you don't feel like you're getting too close to people. That's what they had and that's the system they had in Los Angeles where they had a huge, a huge open voting period where if you went down to these voting centers, you could do the machine and, and. So you're in favor of that? That was okay, but the problem is they had two, way too few machines. So on election day, there was a huge crush of people, not what you'd want in the middle of an epidemic. Well, well, the other problem. uh, Right, is that, it was is a disaster that, in L.A., but it, it could be made to work. But the problem they were having in Wisconsin is that, and I don't know that this would be solved uh, by a longer period of in-person voting, is that the people who traditionally, the volunteers who work there are older people, and they just didn't want to be there for understandable reasons. Yeah. And that you would think that that might still be the case in November. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, maybe. I mean, this is an obvious compromise. You have a one-time only 
mail-in option required for all states for this election only. Oh, sure. Uh, and Fine. it expires automatically, you know, in January 20th, you know, when the new president takes the oath of office. And if the Democrats want it, they got to redo it again. Okay, we're done. We agree. Uh, so talk to talk to your friends in the White House. Let's get this done. Um, uh, that well, it means they're probably going to lose the election. <laughs> but it's understandable why they don't want to do this. So, Mickey, do you know my uh, my slate pitch piece about the World Health Organization? No, I haven't seen the shockwaves rippling. They haven't rippled as much as I'd like. So that, too, is going to be in the newsletter. So you can find it at nonzero.org by the time you see or hear this podcast. But it did run as a piece in Wired. And, I mean, I can check my Twitter feed to see if it's blown up, but I'm pretty sure not. Um, I think anyway. who is... Who has pretty much disgraced itself in its performance during this uh, pandemic. I criticize it. I say it should be investigated. That's the slate pitch part. Global governance fan like me, not springing to the defense of the WHO, but saying it should be investigated. But it should be investigated like with, with good intention, not in the spirit in which the Republicans will wind up investigating it if they do. And, and in general, I mean, I, 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 I don't buy the idea that there was, uh, this deeply sinister conspiracy between WHO and China. I think um, they, they they were both, uh, you know, together they did not generate as much transparency as you like. I think cover-up is probably a misleading term. I mean, you tell me what uh, what is the theory when people use the term cover-up, like China was trying to cover up the fact that there was human-to-human transmission and so on, I think in, in a sense they were, as I can explain, but, like, what is your theory about what their motivation was? Why wasn't their motivation, like, just like Trump's, to play down the severity of the pandemic and hope it would go away? Well, I think that's I think that's basically what it was, except, except they weren't... I don't think they were hoping it would go... I think they were freaking out. I mean, remember, we knew much less than we do now. I mean, so... On January 14th, notoriously, WHO tweeted that the Chinese government had found, quote, no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission. Now, first of all, there's reason to believe that that was technically true because of the way the the local government had been biasing the stats that reached the national government. At the same time, surely the national government and the WHO had very good reason, anecdotally, on anecdotal grounds, to suspect that there was human-to-human transmission um but you know the first death had been reported only three days early this was early times and they didn't know as much as you'd like no i think the chinese government was freaking out but they did still you know it's just your your standard public relations reflex of any institution when there's bad news is wait let's figure out how to handle this and let's don't and let's don't tell anybody about it until we do you're miss- you keep talking about this in the past tense. You're missing the key point. They are lying even now. Today, the death totals they say for their country are lies. They're, the death this toll is, is much, much higher. This is China you're so, talking. You're no China, longer talking yes. about WHO. Right. What, so, what's the, your evidence? I haven't, I haven't looked into this. The evidence is, is, well, nobody believes them, but the evidence from Wuhan is that, that, that they were cremating many more people than then they say died. We went over this last time. No, we didn't. You don't we actually believe that China's. 
You don't actually believe that China's death toll was what it is on those charts, way low, like 3,000 or something. Could be. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, but at the same time, how do you know what to trust? I mean, this is a growing problem, it seems to me, in our information ecosystem. In a lot of areas, I just don't know who to trust because, you know, you hear it's like uh, Bannon had this guy from Epic Times. Now, Epic Times is run by the Falun Gong, which right. clearly has issues with the Chinese government, perhaps justifiably, but not exactly impartial observers. And he was spinning like the more extreme end of the like, I think he, I think maybe he was suggesting this was actually a genetically engineered virus that escaped the laboratory, which I think almost nobody believes. Even people who believe it escaped the laboratory seem to mainly believe well, it was basically actually, a bat virus. But Actually, Tom Cotton uh, tweeted in def- a, a, a series of his old tweets that made it clear that uh, he, he said there were several options. It was probably, you know, good science, bad procedure that that let the uh, let this virus out. That's the most, uh, you know, it, it's also possible it was straight from a bat. But but he does list the possibility that it was bad science, bad procedure, mm-hmm. uh, which is that it was a bioweapon. So it's not like he never mentioned it. He mentioned it as a possibility to investigate, uh, but as a, as probably an unlikely possibility. I mm-hmm. mean, the most paranoid is it's a bioweapon. They wanted to kill us, so they downplayed it, so we let it into our country and we'd all die, right? That would be the... Which makes no sense because... I mean, as I that said... That would be where it, Steve Bannon... Even Steve Bannon fears to go there, right? He fears to, although... He occasionally has someone on who floats that as one of the theories, as one of the presumably credible theories. And I kind of think maybe this Epic Times guy was one. But, I mean, obviously, if you're designing I, – I think I said this to you. If you're designing a virus to attack an enemy with, you don't make its key property cleaning out the nursing homes, right? That's not how you cripple a nation, by killing everyone in nursing homes. You kind of do the opposite. So, Well, it turned out it was. turned out it was what? Well, we're crippled, and it's killing everybody in nursing homes. So, well, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, the other thing you don't do is make make it something that that uh, I mean that that basically hops all national borders, and so inevitably winds up coming back to harm you. But but, and why would you want to kill millions of your own people? That's the other bizarre thing. Well, it's not like the. But in this scenario, look, I'm not defending the the bioweapon scenario. But in this scenario, it was they were they were designing something that they could eventually deploy strategically. They didn't plan for it to escape from laboratory. Oh. Let me briefly say, bioweapons, genetically engineered threats, are a real real problem, and to deal with them, we need much more intrusive global governance than we have. Tom Cotton would never put up with it. Steve Bannon would never put up with it. I mean, this is a pale imitation of the kind of threat that we could face. And the people on the right um, are, well, it's being used in a way that will make wise global governance even less likely in the future, I fear. Because it is, how, it, it's being harnessed by the this, nationalist populace. The, the, how, the much whole, this, how much of this problem goes away if there's regime change in China? None. What do you mean, none? I mean, bioweapons could be deployed by, by terrorists, by anyone. You can, you can design, you can design a, a good bioweapon in any number of laboratories in the United States, 
on college campuses throughout the world, pretty much, certainly all well, that's, that's exactly why global governance isn't going to catch it. We will catch it if the Chinese officially, if a, if a state officially has a bioweapons program, there's some chance of catching it. If one of a million scientists can engineer it, it's hopeless. We're not going to... The, no, it's, it's the, not hopeless. The I've United ri- Nations written- of bioweapons is not going to be able to stop it. No, I've written about ways you could do it, but it's it's just uh, the the uh, I wrote about this like twenty years ago, right right after nine eleven. I wrote uh, a series for Slate about what you would do if you were serious about this stuff. Um, and uh, refresh me. Well, the main part I remember is that Bill Gra- Bill Gates wrote an approving email to Mike Kinsley back when Slate own, uh, was owned by Microsoft. He was very impressed. Sadly, that did not lead to a transfer of a single dollar from Bill Gates to well, my pockets. Or, it's the story of your life, Bob, but what did it say? Oh, yes. The, the, uh, sorry, I got distracted. Um, <laughs> the, the basic uh, – well, first of all, you just have to take it seriously, okay? If right now at any lab a, a terrorist with a, with a PhD or even a master's degree in biology could be cooking up one of these things – um, you could do things. I mean, first of all, let's look at the national level policy and then you basically globalize that and, and get all nations to sign on to it. But, um, an example I threw out is if for certain kinds of equipment, okay, certain, the kinds that can build these things that are in laboratories, um, <clears throat> a mandatory part of the equipment was for every activity done on the machine, to be monitored electronically. There's like a monitor that is recording everything done with the machine. What is sequenced? What A, B, C, D? And maybe transporting it instantaneously to the cloud, whatever. But you have that kind of accountability, transparency. And anyone caught in possession with the machine uh, or who's disabled the monitoring stuff or has a machine that doesn't have it, like they go to jail forever or something. I mean... Can't you do a lot of damage with a CRISPR machine, which costs fifteen hundred dollars? Absolutely. I mean, I'm not that up on CRISPR, but CRISPR is commonly cited as the 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 terrifying technology. And Mickey, you can't keep track of every CRISPR machine. The fifteen hundred dollars are going to be millions of them. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying that if we keep playing Russian roulette with this kind of stuff, sooner or later, we're going to pay the price. And and just more fundamentally. No one's talking about this at all. And one reason is because the ongoing circus of the Trump presidency has everyone distracted from almost every actual important issue in the world. And that's one of the prices we're paying I, I thought for the your favorite was, president. I, I thought the conventional wisdom was that uh, George W. Bush, uh, the, the second Bush, took it very seriously and Obama and Trump have not taken it seriously. Took bioweapons so seriously? Took the whole problem of pandemics seriously. Oh, pandemics. And probably, pro- I assume bioweapons are included in that. I mean, these well, are all people who've read the hot- No, it's a, it's a different... Uh, the, the, I mean, all people who've read this book, The Demon in the Freezer, and were freaked out by it. Yeah, no, if you prepare for pandemics, you are to some extent preparing for a bioweapons attack, but... The thing about bioweapons is, in principle, they could have all kinds of scary properties that are very unlikely to arise in a, through a natural uh, virus, even right. a weird one. Okay. I got the two conflated, as they say. But I, so I, bet, anyway, that, I bet that the younger Bush took, it ver- took bioweapons seriously, too. 
Oh, I think he did. He took, he, in general, he took terrorism and weapons of mass destruction seriously. He just thought the solution was to invade every country you don't like. Um, well, we're going to have a debate about that, I think, in the future. Okay. But, in what context? What do you mean? Well, it, I, I'm not talking about invading, but clearly people like Tom Cotton are hoping for a regime change, right? You think, oh, yeah. Think, well, 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 Bannon is, I mean, one thing I say in my Bannon piece uh in the non-zero newsletter is um he's you know he's he's uh supported financially by this uh chinese expatriate billionaire who's been indicted by the chinese government and he doesn't want to be extradited and he is you know bannon has a couple of projects that are presumably one's definitely funded by him uh i and bannon according to axios got a million dollars for a year of consulting for a company connecting him and so on. Anyway, this guy is pushing regime change. Bannon is pushing regime change. Um, and Bannon is using the, 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 his pandemic podcast, which has a fair amount of reach when you, when you look at the various ways it's distributed to just relentlessly beat the drums for, um, in effect, regime change in China. Yeah. Huh. I need to get me an expatriate Chinese billionaire backing me. Um, well, when you find good. one, I've got a feeling that if you found one attracted to your ideology, uh, he or she would not want to fund me and vice versa. But let's both uh, do the best we can. Um, I think we've gone through all my topics. I think so. And I think we've talked a pretty long time. Um, An hour and 10 minutes, I believe. Yeah, that's long. Okay. Uh, let's save it for next time. Okay, uh, I want to say thank you to all the people who told us how to pronounce Xi Jinping. Is that is that it? Or did I get the last two syllables right? I at least now know that the first syllable is yeah, Xi. And you had the, the first president. one. You had, to, you had to go try the second syllable. I, I, you had me that at Xi. such a mistake. Um, okay. And by the way, one, can I just say quickly, uh, one of the people who corrected us is a high-ranking editor at uh, Current Affairs – you know, one of the two main socialist uh, magazines of great distinction. I th- the other I, one being Jacobin, Jacobin. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I think it's Eli Massey. I think is the is the name of the high ranking editor. And and, I, and I, I'm I'm not saying we have an elite audience. You know, but I'm not saying we don't. Okay. Um, we probably won't after today, but okay. <laughs> okay. Um. So, I want you to get busy uh, lining up our next guest uh, uh, our, our guest for next week should we start having guests no okay the, never mind that's a terrible route to take then you spend all your time wrangling guests and you have to be nice to the guests so it inhibits what you can write and that's that's the problem with all these magazines uh, like the Atlantic used to do where they have these panels of important people and then they have to be nice to the important people because if the important people don't show up at their panels, the panel falls apart. It's the road to corruption, Bob. Yeah, I was once talking when I was that year I was blogging at the Atlantic. I was talking to somebody who uh, I think it's these things that they called show trials for ideas, like um, because you the whole point was to flatteringly assess a particular set of right. ideas but i digress okay okay so 
We will be back uh, next week on War Room. No, we'll have a name. We encourage uh, nominations for name. We should come up with a name. Okay, we have to go now because you got your mask back on. We can't hear you. Okay. Okay. All right. See ya. See ya.